Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Maine Drinking Club. Maine Drinking Club is a locally owned company that creates incredible party apparel for Maine, posts hilarious clips sent in by fans, and just embodies what some of our residents are like when having some fun. Their content thus far on what's coming up puts them at the top of what any page similar in the state posts and will quickly expand globally. I'm telling you guys to check them out now. They have new amazing merch that ranges from hoodies, long sleeves, t-shirts, hats, and anything you can think of wearing to a party and out and about to show off to all your friends and your family. They've been kind enough to give me the discount code MAINBBALL, that's M-A-I-N-E-B-B-A-L-L, for you guys that takes 10% off your first purchase. You can find their website by going to their Instagram page, at Club or going to teespring.com backslash stores backslash main hyphen drinking hyphen club. I know that may sound a little confusing, but trust me, it's worth the type. You guys need to jump on this train while they're primed to explode and go buy some merch and follow their page. Again, huge shout out to my boys at Main Drinking Club for sponsoring this episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the Mainly Basketball Podcast. Curry, point out to Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the lead! Oh, blocked by James! Five seconds, Bryant for the win! It's Curry, he got the shot off! Go ahead! Go ahead! And the Blazers win the series for the first time in 14 years! Defended by Simmons, is this the tiger? Goal! Series! What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 44 of the Mainly Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Bruce, and we're back again with more NBA talk. A lot of big things have happened, so obviously got to dive into it as soon as I possibly could. But just before I get before I start off, I just want to Give a quick shout out to you guys. I appreciate all the love you guys show on Instagram, shown on Anchor, Spotify, all the listeners out there that consistently listen, or even if you just tune in every every now and then. I appreciate y'all from the bottom of my heart. You're the reason why I keep putting out this content. So I just felt like, you know, with the recent amount of love I've been getting and the people that have reached out and said how much they enjoy the podcast, I just want to give a quick shout out to y'all because it, it, it makes me want to work on this podcast so much more and so and put in a lot more effort than I already do just to make sure that I'm putting out the content that you guys like and that what makes me happy and uh, makes you guys want to continue listening. So diving straight into it, the first big thing that happened, Stephen Curry overtakes Reggie Miller on the all-time three-pointers list. And uh, pretty soon I think we're going to see him, probably next season maybe, most likely we'll see him overtake Ray Allen. So now... I'm not going to get boring with this and say, oh, we'll just talk about Steph Curry, because everyone already knows Steph Curry is the best three-point shooter of all time. I kind of wanted to make this interesting and go over the the top five uh, all-time NBA, uh, NBA all-time three-point leaders, and I'm going to kind of throw in some other X factors that, uh, with given uh, different statistics and with with their numbers to see where they would stack up at a certain point given the amount of attempts that they threw up. I'm going to start with the all-time leader. We know Ray is Ray Allen. He's made 2,973 three-pointers, shot 7,429, and he was a 40% uh, career three-point shooter over a 19-year span. 
We got Stephen Curry, number two, uh, 2,562 out of uh, 5,916, which puts him at 43.3% over his 12-year career. Reggie Miller at 2,560 out of 6,486, 39.5% three-point shooter for an eight, uh, the 18-year span. Uh, Kyle Korver at number four, he was 2,450 out of 57.15. Uh, uh, career percentage over 17 years is 42.9%. And then in fifth place, we got James Harden. Who's at twenty three sixty two out of sixty five oh six, and he's a thirty six point three percent three point shooter over his thirteen year career. Now, where I kind of want to get into this, I'm gonna ramble off different uh, stat lines because it's really it was really interesting to compare these guys and you know most how many what were the most amount of threes they made, the best percentage they shot in a season, and for the other guys besides Ray Allen. Based on their percentage, I just want to see, okay, say with Curry's shooting only 5,916 thus far, if we were to take his percentage, how many would he make if he shoots 7,429? And I'm going to do the same for the other guys. I'm not going to list the two X factors I have yet because I'm going to kind of leave that for the end when I get past because they were the two most interesting guys I thought given, one, given his numbers, how many he made on his attempts, and two, another guy who didn't shoot a lot of threes but is regarded as one of the best shooters of all time so ray allen the most threes he ever made in a season we saw 269 that was his long-standing record until steph curry broke it he did it on 653 attempts which put him at 41.2 percent for that season and that was really a season we hadn't seen in the nba yet to that date you know he set that record held it for i i who knows how long? I can't remember. I think it was six, six, seven years. And at a 41.2% clip, it was just not a lot of guys were doing that. Corver was in the league. Uh, he was shooting good percentages, but he wasn't making that many threes. We saw Reggie Miller, who was shooting good percentages uh, in the 90s, but he wasn't putting up, making that many threes. Dennis Scott made a lot of threes in a season, but not near. Uh, there's nobody nearly up to that date who made as many threes as he did with a, that good of a percentage as well. But the best percentage he shot in a season was 45.3% on 234 attempts. I did it to a minimum of two of 200 attempts because now we see you go back to guys where 200 attempts was a lot, and now it's like, as you'll see when we get to James Harden, uh, it was a, it's a little ridiculous on how many he shot compared to what Ray Allen was shooting at that certain time. You know, even on his most, he shot he made, he shot 653. But Rayon's best percentage, again, was 45.3%. And just reading, and moving on to Steph Curry, reading his numbers are absolutely insane. Like, so his most uh, most amount of threes made in a season is 402 on 80, 886 attempts, shooting 45.4%. And that's his best percentage shot in a season. On eight hundred, almost 900 attempts, this dude shot 45, we all know the unanimous MVP season, making over 400 three-pointers, and that's your best percentage as well. Nobody else can say that, yes, the most amount of threes I made, even as a three-point shooter, the most amount of threes I made, I also shot the best percentage of my career. And it's an NBA record. He, he, there's just levels to this shit, guys. There's levels to this shooting stuff. Yeah, there's other guys up there, but Steph Curry, when we look at his numbers, nobody is going to compare that would be able to shoot as good a percentage at a higher clip. Yes, we have Steve Kerr, who's number one all time, but he wasn't putting up and making that many threes. We see Seth Curry. 
he's not going to be putting he's not going to be making 400 threes in a season. Yes, he's going to shoot more he's shot more than Steve Curry. He's probably shooting he's probably going to make 200s. But Curry's doubling his older brother's doubling that and shooting a better percentage than he shot, you know, in a season so far when he's shooting that many three-pointers. Now, this is where it gets interesting. How many three-pointers would the player have if he shot 7,429? So based on his uh, career percentage of 43.3%, Steph Curry, at shooting the same amount of three-pointers as Ray Allen, would have 3,217. And that's just basing it off because you know, Steph Curry can go 350 and shoot 45%. And I, I'm low-balling it. I'm saying he's going to shoot 43.3%, which is still amazing, but we see his best season was at 45%. So... 300 threes ahead of Ray Allen. That's just if he shoots that amount. I would be curious to find out how many threes at the end of his career Steph Curry is going to have. I want you guys to DM me, DM us, how many threes you think Steph Curry will get by the end of his career. You know, 12 years in, he's probably going to play another five, six years, seven years. We'll just lowball it, five, six years. Let's say he makes 253s minimum for five years. We're going to see him near 4,000 three-pointers made which is ridiculous. There's never going to be anybody like this. I mean, yeah, we're going to see people probably shoot this many threes because we already see people that shoot more threes than him, but we're never going to see anybody that shoots at this percentage and makes that, you know, and just makes that many in a season. Maybe we'll see it eventually, but they won't do it as productively as he did it. Now for Reggie Miller, making, you know, like I said, this 2,560, his most threes made in a season was 229 on five, 536 attempts, shooting 42.7%. But his best percentage shot in a season was 42.9% on 382 attempts. And what's, what this was the most interesting to me, I'm going to say interesting a, a shit ton because I love just dissecting three-pointers because, you know, anybody knows me as a player, I, I, I shot three-pointers strictly, was ass at everything else. But we know when Ray Allen passed Reggie Miller, a lot of older people said, well, if Reggie Miller shot the same amount of three-pointers as him, then uh, Ray Allen wouldn't have that record. It's funny that they would say that because, you know, out of his, you know, 39.5% career shooting on, you know, from the three, if he were to shoot another under 1,400 threes, uh, no, uh, under 1,000 threes, just roughly, he would have 2,962. 11 short of Ray Allen. 11 short. So for all the old heads that say, oh, Reggie Miller, he would have made more if he would have shot more like Ray Allen. Nah. Based on numbers, percentages, nah. Argument's over. He wouldn't have made more threes than Ray Allen. Plain and simple. I just, you heard it here now. No matter if Reggie Miller would have shot his career percentage, he would not have more threes than Ray Allen if they had the same attempts. So, love you, Reggie, but Ray Ray is better. Now, moving on to Kyle Korver, a guy who surprised me being up this high because I know every, you know a lot of people sleep on him because he's known as that three-point specialist, but I never would have thought he would be number four all-time, and he can, he can probably continue to move up. Maybe he won't. He'll probably end up, you know, five soon because James Harden's going to pass him. Like, it, it's inevitable. James Harden's going to pass him. I'm not sure how much longer Kyle Korver will continue to play if he can pass Reggie Miller, because he's on his, you know, he's played for 17 years, but uh, his most threes made in a season, 226 on uh, 558 attempts, uh, which 
lands at 40.5%. But his best percentage shot in the season is better than everybody else on this list at 49.2% on 449 attempts. And he had, I think he shot 53% from the three-point line one year, but he only shot 183s. So that's why I couldn't put him on here. That's not even his best percentage. His best percentage in a season without the minimal attempts of 200 is 53%, which is ridiculous. If you realize I'm shooting, this dude's shooting 200 threes almost and is making over half. So when that dude pulls up in your face, more than half the time he's going to make it no matter what on during that season. So that number was just in, insane to me. And because he shoots such a high percentage with this, if he were to shoot the same amount of threes as Ray Allen, he would have a career 3,144, which is 80 less, you know, roughly 80, 70, 80 less than what Steph Curry would have. And it's just because that's how good Kyle Korver is at shooting. He's just a, he's like the tier. I think he, I think you can say he's with, he's with Reggie Miller in the, in the Ray Allen tier. He's not Steph Curry tier. He's in the Reggie Miller Ray Allen tier for sure. Uh, now number five, James Harden. Uh, forget the great percentages I was talking about with everybody else in the uh, in the attempts because James Harden, although he's number five, he just shoots a shit ton of threes. Like he'll definitely be number two all time in three pointers made by the end of his career. But uh, his most made threes in a season is three hundred and seventy eight on one thousand and twenty eight attempts. More than Steph Curry had in the year, he made 402, and he made less. Shoot 36.8%. His best percentage shot in the season isn't even 40%. It's 39% on 292 attempts back when he was on the Thunder. And because his percentage is so bad, and he already has 6,500 attempts, he would only make roughly 2,700 three-pointers based on his 36.3% you know, three-point shooting. Uh, Harden is just not, he's not the the usual three-point shooter that you see. Like, when you talk about greatest three-point shooters of all time, James Harden's name's never going to come up. He can be number one for all I care, but nobody ever is going to talk about James Harden when it comes to one of the, when it comes to one of the best three-point shooters of all time. It's, he's far too inconsistent. He shoots such low percentages at everybody else. Yeah, he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. He's not all, one of the all-time best. Like I said, he can be number one. I don't care. You can be the biggest James Harden fan. You're not going to – that argument's not going to work on anybody that knows anything about basketball. But to get into the fun part with the X factors, the two guys, because you can narrow it down. I looked at Jason Kidd. Uh, I looked at – shit, who else did I look at? Now Now my mind goes blank. But the two other guys I obviously looked at, one is Larry Bird, who people talk about some, you know, the old heads say he's the greatest shooter of all time. Uh, my dad would say he's the greatest shooter of all time. I hope my dad's not listening because I'm going to say he's not the greatest shooter of all time. Sorry, Dad, but Larry Bird shot one shot, you know, 600 made 649 threes out of 1,727, which is a 37.6 uh, three-point percentage for his career of 13 years. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, you shitted on James Harden for having a career 36%, you know, three-point percentage, but... You're calling Larry Bird one of the greatest of all time with a 37.6. Yeah, the reason why I'm calling him one of the greatest of all time is because you look at Larry, he has 5,000 less three-pointers made than James Harden, and the three-point line wasn't emphasized. While, yes, he was a shooter, he had his mid-range game. Three-point wasn't emphasized, so 
to be a 37.6% three-point shooter at the time he was at was known as one of the better percentages, was known as one of the best percentages in the league for someone that was shooting that many, even though he really wasn't shooting that many when you look compared to today's numbers. The most threes he made in the season was 98 on 237 attempts at 41.4%. And if you look at, if you want to consider that his best percentage shot in the season because it's under, it's over 200, um, I have it at 42.3% on 194 attempts because while it's, you know, under 200, when you're comparing numbers for guys who were shooting two to three threes a game with other guys that are shooting six to seven to eight to nine threes a game, it gets a little kind of hard. It's hard to not kind of scale it differently when you're talking about guys like Larry Bird who played in a completely different era where that was not emphasized. Now, the like I said, I'm going to say interesting a lot, but this to me was the number I cared about the most and was the most interesting outcome. If Larry Bird, based on his percentage, which I think he would shoot a better percentage if he was in a different era, but if he shot 7,429 threes, his career makes would be 2,792. And that would place him, you know, number two all time right now as we sit right now. Uh, if Larry Bird played in this day and age, grew up in the era where it was uh, important to be able to make threes and be an, an extended ball player, uh, I think Larry Bird would have around what Kyle Korver has. I'm not going to say he's Steph Curry, he's that Steph Curry tier, because while he is one of the best shooters of all time, in my opinion, um, I don't think he, there's just levels to this. I don't think he would be shooting. Uh, that many threes because he's a forward. He liked he could get to the basket. He shot his mid range, his fadeaways, his floaters, all that kind of stuff. You know, people say Steph does the same thing, but yeah, Steph is just it's just different with guard play, being able to handle the ball up and down. The, you know, being the guy who brings the ball up the court when sometimes Bird did, but I, I think he would be in the Kyle Korver range around the you know three thousand. He would be number you know he'd be top five in the NBA. Uh, but that twenty seven hundred, I was definitely expecting more but it's also based off a of percentage so it can only mean so much when you're looking at his respected air you know his respected era and what he would what he did then and how that compares now the other guy i have is jason terry who shot who made 2282 threes on six on 6010 attempts which leaves him at a 38 percent uh career three-point percentage over a 19-year span uh, the most he ever made in a season was 172 out of 444 attempts, which was 38.7%, and best percentage shot in the season was 43.8% on 370 attempts. Kind of the same thing for Jason Terry, where you, people are going to say, you shit on James Harden, but he only shot 38%. Even in the, you know, yes, Jason Terry played in the, you know, 2010s for a little while. He... It, it still was not emphasized until like that 14, 15 season. Three-pointers were not what they are today as we stand. Like even in the 2000s, people were not putting up that many threes like we see today. That we see guys, the third, fourth best player on the team or the you know the third, fourth best shooter on the team putting up, shooting that many threes. But I think Jason Terry is definitely one of the best shooters probably top 10 all-time three-point shooter 
in my opinion. But even still with him shooting a 38, you know, career percentage, on 7,429 three-pointer shot, he would still only make 2,821. He would still be behind Ray Allen. I'm just kind of giving him the same thing. If he was in this era, grew up in this era, he would be around Kyle Korver, those numbers. But other than that, I don't see, you know... Like I said, there's just levels to this shit. Steph Curry is just a different tier than all these other guys when it comes to shooting. There, I don't think there will ever see anybody else like Steph Curry, just because what he did, well, what he did for basketball and how he changed basketball. He was the guy that brought it in, and you know, there's never normally another person that can match what someone like that did and will do in their career. So. While we may see Harden, who shoots a lot more threes than him, maybe someday pass him in three-pointers made, it's highly doubtful, and I would still say that Steph Curry is the best three-point shooter of all time. But listen to those numbers again with Jason Terry and Larry Bird. It definitely makes things interesting, and don't sleep on Kyle Korver. Remember that. Repeat that to yourself. Don't sleep on Kyle Korver. All right, next I wanted to talk to you guys about some struggling playoff teams, you know, current playoff teams or playoff contenders, because these are guys, you know, I think don't have it figured out quite yet and what they need to do with their franchise, with their roster, and kind of like what they need, like what's currently wrong, what they need to add in order to get over this hump that they're currently finding themselves in. I'm start with the East, a team that I predicted, you know, they just need time, but I'm seeing some kind of different things. The Atlanta Hawks. This date of the episode, they're eight. Uh, the date of this recording, they're eight and eight, six in the East. They need defensive presence. They're far too inconsistent when going against playoff talented teams. Their turnover rate on offense shows <laughs> they they're so young. They get careless with the ball, and then with that lack of, I don't want to say care because they do. You know, they all NBA play. Most NBA players play hard. All you know play hard most of the game but for me it just seems like sometimes when they get lazy on offense even if they try harder hard on the defensive end to kind of uh, void out those turnovers they're unable to do so they're unable to make the other team turn over the ball and you know their opponents field goal percentage and three-point percentage are terrible they're top five worst in the league like their their opponents are shooting horribly on them but they still somehow just give up two points less than they score themselves. So what I'm trying to figure out is, with this Atlanta team, maybe they need to give up some offense in order to get some defense. Obviously, like I, I've said this many times, their team needs 3 and D players. They have two athletic big men, like Capella and Collins, that are that can protect the rim, they can jump, they can get you know lobs, they can rebound the ball, they can score in the paint. And with those 3 and D guys, when they're able to get up there, set screens for Trey or set screens for whoever's holding the ball, and they drive to the basket, people are going to be so worried about Collins or Capella catching that lob that they're going to collapse, and those three-point three shooters are going to be able to knock it down. It, they they kind of need a system like what the 76ers had when they had Redick and Bellinelli and all those guys that were shooting around the pick-and-roll of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That's really what they need. Like I said... Even though this team is young, uh, they just need the time to maybe become a contender. Just the way they look on offense, when it's you know 
that's their strong suit when you look at their stats, when you look at when you watch their games. It scares me because of how inconsistent they can be and with their lack of defense when it comes to forwards and guards, they can't wait. I don't think they can wait for guys like Hunter or Reddish to develop. I like Hunter offensively. I don't like Hunter defensively. And obviously people are I just want to keep saying I want to emphasize this. They're young. So maybe I will be wrong in saying, you know, they they can't wait for them to develop. Maybe Hunter develops a lot quicker than I think. But I think they just need defense. They just need a defensive person. They need a guy that go in there to be a defensive stopper. Because their big men match up so well with Trey and with what they're able to do. So I I think that's just their missing pieces are just people that are able to play defense. They just need to give up or just give up offense for defense. But moving on to the different team, the, the Cavaliers. Also 8-8, eight eight, 6 in the East. <laughs> They're terrible offensively and defensively, like when they, the way they give up points. They're 104 points per game, ranks 29th in the league, and you know three of their top six scorers have played eight games or less. You know, they have Sexton is the only guy they have that can score who you know, he's a solid option that can create his own shot and score it in multiple different aspects of the game. He can shoot the three with his high percentage this year, he can get to the basket, he can create his own shot at the mid range level, he can do a lot of things that are special that I see in, you know, in Colin Sexton. But and I think Garfield can do the same thing as well. But he's just not playing right now. I just injury I don't know if it's just injured or what it is, what's wrong with him specifically, but yeah, there's definitely something wrong with him and I think he fits well with Sexton and Drummond fits well with these guys but they don't intimidate anybody you know defensively their opponents shoot a high percentage on them and they're capable of putting up points in a hurry because of their lack of you know uh, forward defense and the unit's lack of ability to guard longer guards because of their you know Sexton can guard but other than that and then you know having drum you know Drummond in the middle to defend the paint who do they have that they can say okay, go out there and guard this person, stop this person, minimize what this person can do. They can't do it. They're undersized, and they've invested in you know centers rather than pure scorers or defenders, which is what the team needs, I think, to get over the hump because getting Jared Allen to come off the bench, huge, because Jared Allen is like an Andre Drummond, and that's what they need around a guy like Colin Sexton to, to pick and roll, and he can pass the ball. You know, He's not a big assist guy, but he can pass the ball. Like You, you see he's not always just a thousand percent of the time looking to score he looks to kind of get Drummond involved so same kind of thing as the Hawks just need some defenders they need some score unlike the Hawks they the Hawks have scores Cavaliers need scores now Toronto my like I one the last podcast the surprised terrible team seven and nine ninth in the east and I think it's because like they have yet to find their identity with what they've lost since they lost Kawhi, they lost Serge. They have no clear star, I think, just with Pascal struggling. I know I'm not sure what it was with, you know, how he was really good last year, but now he's just minimized himself. Um, though their their offense is balanced with three scores over 18 points per game, they don't have that guy to lead. They don't have that clear leading veteran and score to push them over the hump. Kyle Lowry is not that veteran that can push them to championship level yes people are gonna say well last year they went to seven games in the semifinals against the celtics they could have been the eastern conference finals again 
but they didn't deserve to be. That's how, they should have been beaten five by that Celtics team. And they don't. And what Serge brought to them was a big man that could defend in the middle. With Mark Gasol doing that as well, he's obviously not doing that great of a job with the Lakers. Like I'm, I'm gonna get into later, but they had someone that can just defend the rim and you know and collect rebounds because they're they're not good at rebounding. They have the guy who is in the middle, Boucher, who's their leading rebounder. I think he averages like six, seven, eight rebounds a game. And that's that's leading your team. You don't have someone who averages double digits rebounds, so that's a huge problem for them. And they just need to find who their shooters are. Their field their field goal and three point percentage are high are the you know top ten worst in the league. And I just don't think they're able to, they they'll be able to be competitive in the playoffs with this roster and with Siakam not finding himself again for the second season. I'm not sure what it is, but I think what they need is they just need to somehow get graced with another star that isn't afraid to you know take it to other teams it isn't afraid to to defend somebody to stop somebody to score when they need it like what we saw with Kawhi we saw the other guys kind of shrink when it came down to a close game for example that game seven against Philadelphia Kawhi was the guy who went out there and said okay give me the give me the damn ball I'm gonna score every fucking time like I'm gonna do that every damn time I'm gonna score the ball I just get out of the way and they don't have that the Bulls Seven and nine, ninth in the East. They're terrible defensively and rebounding. Similar issues as the Atlanta Hawks. When you look at, they're giving up points in a hurry and turning the ball over. And I'm a big Zach Levine fan. I think he's an easy twenty-five a night kind of guy. But he isn't someone who can push the team into playoff contention. Like the Raptors, they need a clear-cut star slash like star or superstar who also sets the tone defensively. And I know I say th- I say these things like it's so easy to find these guys, but when I'm saying this is just I'm saying it because I think this is the only thing that can make that can help this team get into playoff contention and to be competitive in the playoffs. So I mean, although it may seem obvious you're like, "Oh, well, obviously every team could use that uh, the clear star superstar that can play that can set a, a tone defensively." There's not many in the league, but I mean, when you look at a team like the Bulls, that's probably what they need. Like I don't see their current roster, and then putting in an an, an all-star, they're competitive in the playoffs. Uh, they're, they need to defend the rim. Wendell Carter is a horrible defender inside, averages eight rebounds and under one block a game as their center, six foot eleven, and he isn't helpful against teams that have big men who can score at different levels, like Anthony Davis, like Jokic, like Embiid. Like Rudy, Go- well, Rudy Gobert can't score at different levels. Let me stop myself right there. Um, but they have young, up, you know, Markinen's good, White's good, Levine's good. They need someone that is a star to kind of get in there and work with those young guys and to lead them. Because, you know, uh, none of those guys really play defense, in my opinion. But I, though I like the pieces on their team, they d- definitely need a lot more. The Hornets seven and seven and nine ninth in the East. It's another defensive nightmare team. That's you know they're freshly built together. Regardless, this roster is no no threat when you look at them. Uh, they struggle with consistency on the offensive end. They what you when you look at their box score, it looks like they relied on Gordon Hayward a lot. Uh, Rozier sometimes, and you know Lamelo Ball sometimes carries the offensive load when he gets to those twenty two eleven eleven games. Uh, but they're, they're just, if Gordon's not going, then that team's not going to win the game. They need to invest in a, you know, a consistent pure score, like a Levert-type player, a Le- Jamal Crawford or a Lou Williams, 
that would help them a lot. While you know, getting three and D guys would be great for Lamelo and Washington, and would you know, their lack of defense. Three and D guys are just you know like Robert Covington, uh, Trevor Ariza, those type of guys. Uh, I'm not saying Trevor Ariza is the best you know best kind of guy to do so, but just find. Go find a guy who can shoot thirty nine percent forty you know thirty nine percent from the three point and can defend a guard you know two guard and a forward and you know just get two of those guys and with Lamelo and these guys who attract so much you know attention on offense they can dish out and you'll put up way more points and you can help recover on the defensive end because the Hornets just when they're scoring a lot they're lazy on defense so that's just what I that's what I see in the East. In the West, I'm going to try and go through these a little bit quicker. Uh, the West, the Nuggets, 9-7, and 5th in the West. They struggle to guard teams. Don't have a strong defender that plays heavy minutes on that on that team. You can't find them. They're filled with great scorers. But even with those scorers, I, I, I don't... This is what I've always said about the Nuggets. They don't have a set and or found offensive scheme what they want to run. Times they strictly run Jokic and Murray... And they fail to see other options on the team like, you know, Porter Jr., like I saw in the playoffs a lot where he when he was hot, but they still didn't want to run through him. Uh, and they don't try and, you know, get others involved. And this is when we see, okay, if Jokic and Murray isn't working out, these other guys who aren't getting the shot attempts before, they're missing shots because they're just they're trying to throw up shots to show, okay, hey, you can look at me when you guys are just trying to run Jokic and Murray. You can look to me to do so. But when the other options are hot, like Porter Jr., these other guys like Barton are throwing up shots because they want to be in that Porter Jr. situation. They look to him as that third option. So uh, they just need to find themselves, in my opinion. They just really need to find themselves. The Spurs, 9-8, and 8th eight, in the West. They don't have a defined star. I don't care what anyone says. DeRozan's not a star anymore. Aldridge's not a star anymore. They have a collection of good young talent. Uh, my clear opinion get back on track would be hand the keys to Murray and he you know because he's able to put up points he can rebound and distribute the ball to teammates give up DeRozan and Aldridge for picks and draft and you know draft you know draft picks <laughs> and draft scorers who are also you know who can defend a little bit because that's the Spurs way they never have you know although Tim Duncan top five player all time best best power forward of all time Kawhi Leonard uh an all-star a finals MVP they have that guy and then they surround him with guys who fit the Spurs system. Like, that that's what it is to me. The Spurs, I think, should just not be good for a couple of years. You know, I support, obviously, I want my team to win, but I, I, if I'm looking at it from an outside, outside perspective, don't win. Get good draft picks. Pick good guys that, because that's what they're always, even though, like, Parker and Ginobili were steals, they weren't high picks, I just think, I'm not sure you can't always get lucky on that like they had in the past, so... I think they need a, definitely need higher draft picks and just get rid of the old guys. Uh, the Mavs, 8-8, eight eight, ninth in the West. Uh, Hardaway has to realize he's the third option. He needs to step up when it's necessary, whether that's taking more shots, when the two All-Stars are struggling, or even when they're playing well to just hit his shots that he's been given. That You know, the passes, when they pass him the ball, even if they're feeling it, he has to nail his shots. Uh, they're in need of defenders on both the wing and inside. They don't have to be scorers because they already have three to four players who can get up to 20 points per game. You know, you can say, yeah, Porzingis, Luka, and Hardaway are going to get me almost 20 points a game. You know, it's guaranteed for Luka, guaranteed for Porzingis, but Hardaway, 
at certain times. If those other guys are going off, he's not going to get 20, but he can get 20 whenever he wants, in my opinion. So they just need defenders. Rather than 3 and D guys, they just need defenders. They need two very solid defenders, and this team is legit, legit. The Warriors, 8-8, eight and eight, ninth in the West. You know, obviously people are going to be, oh, well, when they get Klay Thompson, they'll, they'll you know, be back into it. But I, I don't think that's true. You know, they need what the old Warriors had pre-KD, a big man who knows his role, is confident in that role, which I don't think Wiseman is yet. And I don't, I don't know if he's comfortable in that role because he's, when you look at his play style before, you know, just a big explosive guy, but I don't know if he's comfortable being that guy that gets, you know, 10 and 10 and just defends the rim. I'm not I don't know if he's cuz I don't know him that well. Maybe he can grow into that, but being the number 1 pick, I'm not sure if he wants to be that 10 and 10 guy who's just I, I'm not sure. And they don't have other guys who can consistently make threes when, you know, either Clay or Steph is off. It doesn't happen, you know, rarely does that ever happen they're both off, but if either or is off, they don't have high profile scores. But they they don't need to be high-profile scorers, but teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, have good enough defenders to minimize either of the two and dominate this team in the series, in my opinion. So, Oubre, Wiggins, uh, bat, uh, inconsistent three-point shooters, definitely not what this team needs. Uh, and the last one for me is the Kings. They're 6-10, 13th in the West. Uh, they're terrible defensively, which is surprising, giving like, you know, Barn, like Harrison Barnes and Fox's like, pre-draft analysis and what they're known as but it takes a you know obviously everyone knows it takes a complete unit this team either needs someone on their team to step up as the perennial all-star which i think De'Aaron fox can definitely do or they need to pick one up in the offseason to compete with actual playoff teams and i think if if you're someone that's not happy with your situation i think you can look i think you look at this king's roster and you know maybe more interesting when they had bogdanovich but i think you can look at this team and you would be interested you know, because they have the they have good pieces. They have Buddy Hield who can shoot. Marvin Bagley who's getting you know he's getting better. He's getting better. De'Aaron Fox who's an all who's gonna be a multiple time All Star. Uh, then Harrison Barnes who's you know eighteen points a game can defend the ball well, but don't you know teams don't like the thing. So the Kings need to give up some offense for defensive effort. You know, I would suggest probably drafting or picking up one or two three and D players that can help ignite the team by making stops. And, you know, when paired with Fox, who loves to show effort on the defensive end, would make this a tough team to score on. So that's, you know, my East and West. I just gave five teams. There's obviously other teams that need help, but those I think were just the biggest five to me that I thought would be the easiest to resolve. So let me know what you think. Now, this next topic is going to be fun to talk about. Uh, you know, quick shout out to Chris Codwell for helping me come up with this. You know, always my guy to go to whenever I'm struggling to come up with, you know, if I always, I had three topics, you know, the usual, you guys are going to know what what I always ended off with. But this this third one right here is fun to me because it's just when I talk about the NBA to a lot of people, these names have come up and know what the what the hell happened to these guys? And that's what this is. What happened to these players? I'll start with Blake Griffin. He's in his 11th season, he's 31 years old. I'm going to start with his career stats. In his career, Averages 21.5 points, 9 rebounds, 4.5 assists, shoots 50% from the field, 33% from the three-point line, and 69.5% from the free-throw line. This year, Blake Griffin is averaging 12.8 points, 6.3 rebounds, and 4 assists, shooting 38% from the field, 33% from the three-point line, 
and 71% from the free throw line. So yeah, he's shooting same from the three-point line, better from the free throw line in his career, uh, around the same assists, averaging two and a half less rebounds and nine less points. Now watching Blake, and you know, obviously a lot of people say, well, 11 seasons in the NBA is a lot. It is a lot because that it's more than the average time spent on for players. And he is 31, and Blake's had injuries, you know, but it's just a quick drop-off, I think, for Blake Griffin because I just started to see last year and the year before some things that we hadn't seen from Blake Griffin before. He was expanding his game. So I'm kind of curious what it is about Blake Griffin because other guys you can just tell, you can see it immediately, but Blake Griffin I'm the most confused about. Because, you know, when he first came in the league, he was that Blake who was catching lobs, dunking on everybody, over everybody, making these amazing highlight plays every game. And then he kind of got a better, uh, you know, post-game. He was, you know, making uh, uh, shots from longer distances. And then, you know, he was shooting three-pointers. He was dribbling the ball well, uh, bringing the ball up the court, sometimes off a rebound. But it just seemed to drop off a lot. Like, I don't know what it is about him. But, Blake, what happened to you, bro? Like, are you, like, it sucks to see Blake because it, I just thought I saw some things last year and the year before that I thought he was getting better, maybe. Or, you know, going to be that almost all-star guy. But 13 points and 6 rebounds. What happened, man? The next one, uh, you guys listen to this and anybody I talk to. LaMarcus Aldridge, his 15th season, he's 35, and a lot of people are going to say, yeah, that's this is the reason why, but his career stats are 19.5 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 49% from the field, 31 from 3, and 81 from the free throw line. This year he's 14.5, 4.7 rebounds, 2 assists, 45, 30, and 84.5 in those respected you know, shooting categories. Just half the rebounds that we normally see and five less points from a guy who's supposed to be one of the best players on a team. Like, when you're getting 14 points from a guy like that, you know, you look at Tim Duncan. Yes, Tim Duncan averaged less and less points, but he had players that were up and coming, like Kawhi, who was going to be that, you know, 20-plus points a game scorer. And he handed off to Tony Parker, and he deferred a lot. But LaMarcus, the way he plays, doesn't look like he's deferring, just doesn't look like that talent is still there at all. Like, LaMarcus, to me, just doesn't look like the LaMarcus Aldridge, hasn't looked like the LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, that's why I suggest, like, a team like the Spurs just gets rid of him. And, and the way I talk about him, and say, I just say get rid of him, it's, it's probably going to be a lot harder than you think, than I, than I think, to give LaMarcus Aldridge to a team. Who's going to want him? I don't know if he's a guy that helps a team make that deep run or helps them you know, get to the finals. That's a team that's, you know, stuck in the conference finals or the semifinals. But LaMarcus definitely ain't the same LaMarcus, and I, I, I don't like to see it for my team. Next guy is DeAndre Jordan. It's 13th season. He's 32. You know, another guy who was on the that Clippers team that was nuts with the highlight reels. Career stats of nine, nine points, 11 rebounds, 1.6 blocks, shooting 67% uh, from the field goal, uh, from, the, <laughs> from the field, and 47.5% from the free throw line. This year, averaging 6.7 rebounds, 1.4 blocks, shooting you know 82% from the field and 57% from the free throw line. 
uh, DeAndre just looks like a shell of him, of his former self. I, I don't know if it's age, if it's what it is, but he just doesn't look like DJ at all. He's not rebounding. You know, lately, you know, he's had a couple good, decent rebounding games since, you know, the last time I talked about him and how he didn't look that good for this team. Um, But he just doesn't, I don't, I don't know what it is if he's not comfortable with the, you know, with the Brooklyn roster or what it is. But it's just, you can tell it's different. You know, DeAndre's never been looked at as that guy, okay, go out there and do a lot for us, but he's been that 10 and 10 guy that a lot of teams need in a big man and, you know, to protect the rim as well because he can jump, he can block shots. But he's not even doing that. You know, that five, six point seven rebounds. For DJ to be, you know, crucial in the Nets, he needs to average his career numbers when it comes to the rebounding category because they don't have Jared Allen anymore. You know, for him to average only seven rebounds a game, it's kind of embarrassing, and I definitely think it's you know something that they should check into and look into to see okay is DJ really that center that's gonna help us when we go up against guys like Jokic and Bead and Davis? I I don't think so. Uh, next guy is Mark Gasol, thirteenth season he's thirty five, career stats of fourteen and a half points, seven point six rebounds, three point four assists. Shooting forty eight percent from the field, thirty five from three, seventy and seventy eight percent from the free throw line. Uh, this year with the four point one points, four point six rebounds, one point nine assists, and similar shooting you know shooting numbers besides the three pointer. And uh, I I definitely think the Lakers thought that he would be a lot better than he is because Marc Gasol looks terrible offensively and defensively. He just looks slow, tired all the time. He's not even playing like he was for the Raptors with how you know he was important that. The year they won the finals, he was had some good games shooting, uh, defending. He just looks like it's time to hang hang up the shoes. Uh, and a lot of these guys, I I say I'm confused. I'm not sure what it is because you know you can never you 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 see things go. You can see their game, you know, get worse, but you can you it's impossible to pinpoint why because you could say okay, um, age, but we've seen guys thrive at certain ages. You know, be able to put up better numbers than what these guys are. You could say, well, they've been in the league a while. Yeah, same kind of thing as age. People have been there, done that. But just these guys, why I didn't expect them to play this bad as they're playing is because of who they were prior and even one, you know, one to two seasons ago. So uh, the Lakers, I can I can definitely promise you, are not pleased with Mark Gasol's play and adding him to the team. Last guy, Hassan Whiteside. His ninth season, he's 31 years old with career stats of thir- 14 points, 12 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, shooting 58% from the field and 61% from the free throw line. This year, you know, now he's averaging 6.4 points, 4.2 rebounds, uh, barely over a block, 53%, 52% from the field and 50% from the free throw line. And he's not even playing that much. He's playing like minimal minutes right now. And I don't know why, because Hassan Whiteside, everyone was looking at him as that guy who was going to be the next really, really good big man. Like, he was competing with Joel Embiid and those guys. But now that's changed so, so quickly. He, I don't know if it's, they don't, the team doesn't, they don't want to give him a chance, if they don't want to watch him play. But he just doesn't look, like, his numbers should be a lot better because only his ninth season at 31, you would think, okay, I mean, last year he was putting up 17 points and 14 rebounds. 
like around you know around those numbers which is just fine on a team that needs that but it just doesn't I'm not sure if it's his team not wanting to give him the chance if he just in practice doesn't you know show a lot of effort in wanting to you know be that guy for that team but Hassan Whiteside is definitely the most confusing case you know comparable to Blake Griffin as to okay well last season you were good but so this season now your numbers are atrocious like Hassan, where where are you at, dude? Like maybe you know Sacramento, give him more playing time. You know, let see if he can actually you know, if he if he can even put up thirteen and eleven like his career numbers, which I think he probably can. Even if he can put up thirteen and nine, that's perfect. So, but uh, where have these five boys gone? You know, we got to put an APB for these boys because. <laughs> Can't find them anymore. And to end the pod, per usual, the only reoccurring you know segment I've ever done on this podcast, we've ever done, who impressed, who disappointed. So this is at the time of this recording. Guys, the don't I don't want to hear, oh, what about this game, what about that game? If it was after when I'm recording, which is Tuesday, then uh, sorry I missed it. It's going to be a next episode. It'll be next Tuesday's episode. First and impressive, I'm going to run through these. Trey Young, 31 minutes, 43 points, 14 for 22 from the field, 8 of 12 from the three, seven, perfect from the free throw line of 7 of 7. Uh, four rebounds, five assists, a win versus Timberwolves. Uh, I know Trey Young can put up 40 points a lot in a season, but why it was good for why it was impressive for me to see this is because of how inconsistent he's been recently in scoring the ball and, you know, scoring the ball. Uh, consistently on the offensive end with what I mean is in shooting percentages. Uh, recently, his you know this season, his percentages have been atrocious, even after starting off the way he did. Uh, and he's really that guy who carries this team offensively, even though they have other scores, Collins, Hunter, uh, Bogdanovich when he's healthy, uh, Capella who can get 20 points when he's feeling it because he's getting those lobs from uh, Trey Young. Uh, it was good for it was good to see him put up this kind of performance again. This is kind of pro- I think the best performance we saw from him since that opening the opening game, uh, if my memory serves me right, which I I I think it does. But yeah, it was only against the timber it was only against the Timberwolves. But for me, uh, with how bad he's played this year, it was impressive for me to see Trey Young go back and be uh, go out go back out and be Trey Young again. Next is Bam Adebayo, thirty eight minutes, forty one points, fourteen for twenty from the field. Uh, 12 for 14, free throw line, five rebounds, nine assists. Loss versus the Nets, but didn't have Butler, didn't have uh, Tyler Hero. Uh, and Bam, I love, you know, I know he's a very good guy. He's going to be an all, he's an all-star. He's going to be continue to be an all-star, I think. Uh, I would love to see more rebounds from him in this game, but the 41 points and the 12 for 14, the free throw line, 14 for 20 from the field, and, you know, making as close as a game as he did going against that juggernaut of a team in Brooklyn – uh, it impressed me a lot to see Bam put up forty-one points. Yeah, I don't uh, definitely when I think of forty-point score, you know, people being able to score forty points in the game. Bam's not the first person that comes to mind. Uh, Demarcus Cousins, thirty minutes. It was great to see the twenty-eight points, seventeen rebounds, and a win versus the Mavs. It was great to see this Demarcus Cousins back because you know, if you know basketball and you know Demarcus Cousins, you know he's capable of doing averaging twenty-five and twelve. Maybe not anymore, but it's just like I got that old DeMarcus Cousins vibe and only 30 minutes of play. 
you know, shot six or seven from the free throw line, four of eight from the three. Uh, and he got 28 points on 15 shots. You know, he could have gone out there and did 23 shots and had a, almost probably had a 40-point game. But he knew what it what he had to do in order to win with his teammates, you know, him, Wall, Oladipo, Wood. Those four guys together, I love it. I love watching those guys play. Uh, it's honestly, uh, they look in sync. They look good defensively as well. Gordon Hayward, 38 minutes, 39 points, 15 for 25 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3, 9 rebounds, win versus the Magic. Impressive to me because Gordon Hayward, I definitely didn't think he'd go to the Charlotte Hornets team and put up the, you know, have these point performances like he has been having. Uh, obviously, Gordon Hayward's capable of doing it. We saw him in Utah, but the Celtics, you know, didn't really see that Gordon Hayward they wanted to see, but now we're seeing it in Charlotte, and I think that if he continues to play this way, other guys develop, they get another few pieces. This Charlotte team is a playoff team, and uh, I've had Gordon on here a couple times, and I, I think it's just because even though I have said and just said that Gordon's capable of this, it's still impressive to me that he is doing so because of the seasons he had with the Celtics prior. Last one, LeBron James. 38 minutes, 46 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, while shooting 7-11 from the 3 and 19-26 from the field. And a win versus the Cavs, getting 21 points in the fourth quarter, uh, fourth quarter, I believe. And LeBron just looked like he's the, easily the best player in the league. And it's, I'm not I'm not saying where he is for me all time. Promised you guys I wouldn't do that when I started this podcast. When me and Mikey started this podcast, I'm not gonna do it. But LeBron just looked dominant. He looked like the you know even though he's still averaging twenty five seven and seven, he just that looked like a vintage LeBron performance, as Shannon Sharp would say, a virtuoso from LeBron James against his old team in Cleveland. Disappointed. Russell Westbrook the, has been the definition of disappointment this season. 25 minutes, 9 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, which I don't care about with Russell Westbrook anymore. The people that say, well, he still averages almost triple-double. I don't care about that triple-double anymore. 3 of 11 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3. At least he didn't shoot a, a 15 three-pointers. 2 of 4 from the free-throw line. He's been a terrible free-throw shooter. And a loss versus the Spurs. Save Bradley Beal. Start that hashtag. Hashtag save Bradley Beal. Jesus. I don't even want to spend more time on Russell Westbrook. That's how bad he is. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who I've had impressive performances before. 38 minutes, 12 points, 5 of 22 from the field, 1 of 10 from 3, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, loss versus the Raptors, a team they should beat. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, I definitely wouldn't see him going 1 of 10 from the three-point line. You know, He normally doesn't shoot that many threes, but definitely couldn't find his groove this night. Going against a team where they should be and, you know, to be completely honest they should have probably blown out because of how bad the Raptors are this year but I think he'll definitely step it up next game you know he's he's probably second best player on the team so but just the shooting the shooting was just terrible for me it was just like the biggest disappointment Terry Rozier in a loss versus the Bulls had 10 points 412 from the field one of six from three four rebounds six assists and 39 minutes of play Terry Rozier is looked at for a lot of the offensive effort to get up, put up points. We obviously know, you know, he's not the best, you know, when it comes to percentages, but he's great at scoring, you know, make only one three-pointer, 10 points. Uh, definitely what their team needed, de- definitely what their team didn't need in a game against, a, a you know, a Bulls team that's similar record-wise. So 
this was definitely a win that they needed early in the season, but they just didn't get it, and I think partially because of his performance. Uh, the last two are going to be D'Angelo Russell and Kyle Lowry. D'Angelo Russell, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about him and Trey Young. Go out there, get 35. Next game, get fucking nine points. 21 minutes, nine points. I don't know if he's on a minute restriction or what it is, but in 21 minutes, nine points, two and nine from the field, one of five from three, two rebounds, four assists, and loss versus the Hawks. I'm not sure if it's minute restriction or what it is, but D'Angelo Russell, when I thought of him going to the, the Timberwolves, I didn't think he'd only be putting up nine shots. Even in 21 minutes, nine shots? Like, come on, D'Lo. Like, you've had too many of these games where you're either going out there and getting 30 or you're getting five or you're getting nine or you're getting 11. If D'Lo's going to be that guy in Minnesota with Anthony Towns, he's going to have to be not be having these nine-point performances anymore. Kyle Lowry, another guy of disappointment. 33 minutes, 12 points, 2 of 11 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 2 rebounds, 1 assist, loss versus the Pacers. It's just something that, you know, it, I, I, I don't know what to say. Lowry's just looked terrible this year. Uh, the two rebounds, one assist as their point guard is just atrocious. No more time for you, Lowry. Just get your shit together, man. Like, I don't know what it is about that guy. I don't know if it just bugs me in general because I, I see a lot more in him. He is averaging 18 points a game, but 12 points, the two of 11, the horrible shooting, the minimal other categories, you know, stat categories, it bugs me. But anyways, that's all I got for you guys this ep this episode. Check it out on Anchor, on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Mainly Basketball. Follow our Twitter page at Mainly Pod. Like our Facebook page. Like a, like we say at the end of every episode, DM us what you want us to talk about. If we miss something that if I miss something that you guys didn't that you guys wanted to hear, DM and let me know so that way I can make sure I make the time for that way all listeners are happy. Obviously, I can't make everyone happy, but I can try. I can try my best. And I want to make sure that you guys are loving this content as, as much as possible because I like I can't say it enough. I love doing this NBA stuff, doing the research, and then putting this episode out there. I, I understand interviews probably do better when it comes to views and you know getting more people to follow the page, but it's just I want to do more than that now. I want to be this NBA podcast because that's what this started out as. It started as me and Mikey want to talk NBA as well as interviews, and we were on the interview binge for a while. So, like... I appreciate everybody that shows love and lets me know that they love this type of content. So I appreciate y'all. You're the reason why I continue to do it, you know, each and every week. I'll try and get two episodes out a week for you guys more consistently. But I hope you enjoyed. Peace out.